Good morning, church. Thank you so much, Ross. Thank you for your ovation. And it's so lovely to be with you guys this morning. And uh, I'm just a vessel of God in the end. And thank you for paying attention to what I'm going to say. And I trust God will speak to you through me. And uh, we're going to speak about a topic today. We are busy with the, the book of Philippians. So we've been um, discussing the book of Philippians over the past few Sundays. And uh, my, my topic today is going to be about identity in unity, which is a bit of a tough topic sometimes for our country to, to chat about. We haven't always been the most united country in the world. So we're going to chat about our identity and unity through, through Christ. So I brought my passport with, and as you guys know, a passport and an identity document tells the world who you are. Your name's in it. Your age is in it. I'm not going to show you my age. And some of us have green ones, some of us have purple ones, some of us have blue ones, and some of us are trying to change our color. But what a, what a passport and ID does, it tells the world who you are and where you come from. And with that, we are South Africans, and if you go down from there, we are KZN people, we are Durban people, and from there we have different cultures, different races, different languages, different foods, different ways of doing life but it tells the world who we are. We are all born into a certain culture. I don't think we can always choose our cultures. We get born into our family's culture, and we normally adopt that as our culture and our identity as well. So I'm gonna put a little graph up here about what Google says our identity is, or what psychologists see our identity is. So if we look at personal identity, and the little blue circle is you. And inside your identity, your values, habits, personality, physical features, goals, emotions, career, beliefs, interests, principles, talents, and dreams. And this is how the world tries to give you an identity, to tell you who you are. And as a Christian, we should be different to the world, and our identity should be based in Christ. And I'll go through that as we move on. So I am an Afrikaner, believe it or not. You may understand my accent now. <laughs> I was born in Bloemfontein. Has anyone been to Bloemfontein before? Oh, wow, awesome. And it's the middle of the free state, um, legal capital of the country, and I grew up in Afrikaans household. I really struggled to move to KZN because the Afrikaans culture is very small. Are there any Afrikaans undercover agents here today? Let me just check. Oh, we have a few. Wonderful. <laughs> but uh, it was really tricky for me to settle in KZN because my people weren't here. Um, the very strong Indian culture, very strong Zulu culture, very strong Afrikaans, uh, English culture. And Afrikaners are few and far between. And I really struggled to settle in. But... God doesn't look at unity like that. You know, he pulls you into a church and a community of believers, which then becomes your, your community, and I appreciate that. And Bloom as well, if you are new, uh, Tani will invite you over and cook for you and feed you until you're fat, and you have to open your, your tight jean pants, open up the top button so that you can actually get more food into you, and then she sends you home with more food. And uh, I've been here for 18 years now, I'm still waiting for Tani to invite me over for food. <laughs> so I love curry, so please. I am, I'm open for invitations after the service. <laughs> but
But being an Afrikaner, my culture and my identity, language is quite important. Language forms part of my identity. And the Afrikaans' language is beautiful, and they'll put us put up some words there. Good luck reading them. They they are very expressive, and the Afrikaans' language is very expressive. We have some interesting sounds like the sound. I've been trying to teach my children the sound, and it's something they battle with. And uh, we have very cool accents, like I said, Jean Tut, Jean Pant, and I is from Bloemfontein. I'm not, I am from Bloemfontein. We get those things mixed up. Um, but our, our language is so unique. It's like your Zulu language. Um, it's such a unique language. I try to do it, but your click sounds. There's a click in the front, click in the middle, click in the back. I'm like, I can't do so many clicks. And then you guys speak a Fanagalo as well. So it's, it's hard to learn a language in black and white if you guys don't speak, if I can't speak the lingo. But your language is part of your identity. It's part of your culture. Let's talk about food. That says it all. <laughs> as Afrikaans male, if I could bribe for breakfast, lunch, and supper, awesome. Don't bring a salad or a bun. Just meat, and that's cool, and I can, I can live on that. Uh, I love African guys, your Shishinyama culture you've started. It's so amazing that you can get around a braai and meat and socialize together. And that's the Afrikaans culture. We socialize around food. We bring people to our homes, we feed them, and we socialize. Um, so we, we love wining and dining together um, as part of our identity as Afrikaans people and as Zulu people forms a big part of our culture and identity. Malfa pudding. We feed you full of food and then we still give you malfa pudding afterwards and you're like, oh, where's that gonna go? <laughs> My wife, she puts a bit of brandy at the bottom and I mean, that's amazing after that. <laughs> and then milk tart. Milk tart, mm. what, a, what a dessert. Cook sisters. Eh? Sweetness. But I look at these things and as part of my Afrikaner identity, as part of my Afrikaans culture, and even your Indian people, your curries, your spices, your, the way your food tastes is unbelievable. That forms, forms part of our identity. Food forms part of that. Our next slide is about sport. I'm so glad the shark signed Afrikaner to come fix the problems. Um, Eben is one of the biggest Afrikaners you'll ever find. He's playing, being, playing rugby in France. In the interview in English, he answers in Afrikaans. Doesn't matter if he's in France and no one understands what's going on. <laughs> but if you're in trouble, you sign the biggest Afrikaner you can find. They'll come fix your issues for you. <laughs> but uh, as, a, as an Afrikaans guy in Bloom, you could play two sports at school. Rugby or rugby. <laughs> there were no other options. So I came to KZN and guys were playing hockey. I'm like, what? That's a girl sport. <laughs> Soccer. I'm like, what? Really? And then I looked at hockey, hockey and I'm like, wow, it would have been amazing if I could play hockey at school. It's such a cool sport. Or football. It's such an amazing sport. And I love your, your English Oaks. I came into worship practice the other night and the Oaks were standing around talking about Liverpool and the Champions League final. And they're like, oh, we played so badly and we had so many attempts at goal. And I'm like, where did you guys play? I'm like, we? They're like, no, Liverpool. I'm like, oh, you're talking about your team in first person. They're not even South African. They're not even from KZN. You know, so it's, yeah, it's interesting. Sorry. So sport forms a big part of who we are 
as Afrikaans people, and rugby forms a big part of our lives. And some of you will say Formula One, you're watching Formula One and that type of thing. The next one, hmm? If you as an Indian oak pitch up in that vehicle, you've arrived. Okay? Low profiles, rims, tinted windows, sunroof, double exhaust, sound system, tissue box. <laughs> you've arrived. You drive around Gateway there and you rev your car, people know. Hey, he's here, he's here. As Afrikaans guy, we all dream about a Hilux, dirt, hunting lights, hunting bars. Even if you don't hunt, you put them on. <laughs> Extra features. And if you don't have mud, you go to your place, they spray you with mud so you look the part as well. <laughs> but as part of your identity, and I can say the same if you pitch up with a Porsche or a Ferrari, it says something about who you are. African Oaks, G-Wagon, costs three times the price of my house, but if you arrive with that, we know. We know who you are. Right, the next slide. <laughs> you can't have his number, I'm sorry. <laughs> I asked Ross if I can preach like that. He said, no, my calves, I can't show calves on stage, I'm sorry. But if you arrive like that, what is the first thought you think? Who is he? He's Afrikaner farmer. Eh? Part of his identity. What you dress, what you wear is part of your identity. Right, next one. African hair. So uh, my wife and I, we adopted two beautiful African girls a few years ago. We know nothing about African hair. We had to join a support group on Facebook. <laughs> Vanilla hair, chocolate care. <laughs> we have no idea what you girls go through as Africans and how beautiful you look when you do your hair well. I had to pull a friend in the other day at church just to come talk to my little one about her hair was sore, her head was sore from having her hair done, just to say, it's okay and you'll be all right. But as a six-year-old, we took her hair salon for the first time and the lady said, I'll see you in three and a half hours. I'm like, she's six years old. What are you gonna do to her? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'll bring food and bring a, a DVD player so she can watch movies. I'm like, wow, Really? And they got you pay, and they're like 600 bucks. I'm like, hmm? <laughs> She's six years old. But your hairstyle is part of who you are, and it's part of your identity, how you look. So I've shown you all these things as part of my Afrikaner identity I have at the moment. But more than that, and firstly, I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. As a Christian, our identity should be, should be so different to the world, what the world tells us your identity should look like and be. Because firstly, we are God's children. We are Christ followers. And all these things come a far, far, far second. And I think that's a problem the world's facing at the moment. It's giving us our identity and we're putting Christ down the ranks later on. We become all this first, and then later we become a Christian. So I'm gonna read a few scriptures out of Philippians, and Paul is writing this to his Philippian church that's very dear to him because it's one of the first churches he planted in Europe. And he speaks to them out of prison about identity. He tells them who they are from prison. 
He hasn't met many of them. He doesn't know many of them. He knows some of them. But he gives him this identity. So if we read the scriptures, the first one is Philippians 1 verse 1. And Paul says to them, he writes this letter and he says, to all God's holy people. And then, in Christ Jesus. Later on, as you go down this, the passage, he always also says to them in verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that was, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So he gives them three forms of identity. Number one, God's holy people. This morning as you sit here, you are God's holy people, and you need to own that as our identity. You are a holy people of God. Number two, he says, in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? Christ lives in us, and Christ lives through us, and we are with Christ. We believe in what Christ did for us on the cross. That's their second identity. And I want to give that identity to you this morning as well. You are a Christ follower. And the third thing he says, brothers and sisters. And you guys have heard that in church, morning brothers and sisters. But what does it mean? As we sit here as a community, we are brothers and sisters. We are united as a family because we have the same heavenly father we are God's holy people, and we believe in Jesus Christ. We are Christ followers, and that's enough to unite us in our identity through Christ. Paul goes on to, to say in, in Philippians 2, verse 1 to 4, and he speaks about unity again. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What a powerful scripture, how we should live as brothers and sisters in a community of believers. And I think what COVID and all these other things have done, it's retracted us into our homes. And we've become very internally focused, which was important for our mental health. But Paul calls us out to say, Let's unite. Let's serve each other. Let's look after each other in Christ Jesus. Now, I've taken two points out of this. So I'm going to put the first point on the screen. If your identity is in Christ, you will want unity. You will want it. Because your identity is in Christ, who's a unified God. And he looks at the world very differently like, as what we look at it. If your identity, like me, if my identity was in being an Afrikaner male, I would want 
people to be like me, to think like me, to do life like me. That's called uniformity. That's not called unity. If my identity isn't being an old gray bloom boy playing rugby, I would want people to think like I think. I would want uniformity to me and my way of doing life. Not in the way Christ looks at unity. If my identity is in my political party and their beliefs, everyone will have to wear red because that's uniformity. That is not unity, Christ's unity. So, so I thought about how would I speak to a non-believer about Christian unity? So being KZN and you guys love football, I took a, a soccer team called Liverpool. So they'll put a picture up here. I'm sorry for the Man U supporters, I'm sorry, but Liverpool has been playing well. And we're gonna use the analogy with our Christian walk with football. So if you look at this football team, What's the first thing you see? Red, okay. Different colors. Not one guy there looks the same as the other one in skin color. They're all from different races. They're all from different backgrounds. They're all from different cultures. They all speak different languages. But what's the one thing that unites them? They name Liverpool. And they're wearing a red jersey, so they can see each other and move together on the field. Now, if you look at Christianity as an analogy, what name unites us? Christians. We are all Christ followers. And what jersey do we wear? The blood of Christ covers us all. And that by itself is enough to unite us as brothers and sisters, because we are Christ followers and we're covered by Jesus' blood, what he did for us on the cross to get our sins to be forgiven. The next thing I see with this team, they all have different talents, they all have different gifts. One's a goalie, one's a striker, one's a defender, one's a midfielder, one's a captain. And what do they do with their gifts? Does the one run and score his own goal, run away into the stands? No. They pass the ball to each other they all have different skills, put each other into the gap. My mate falls down, I pick him up. And we unite with each other so we can score a goal and win the match. Same as our Christian walk. All of you sitting here have different talents, different gifts. You can be called for different things in the body of Christ. But what do you do with it? We use it to help each other, encourage each other, put each other into the gap, uplift each other so that we can score the goal. And what's our goal as Christians? To make everyone around us believers of Christ, make disciples of the world. That's our goal. And we should use our gifts and our talents to do that, to unite people in the body of Christ. And what's Liverpool's end goal as a team? They want to win the Champions League. Right? What is our end goal? We want to go to heaven, be with our Father, and take everyone with us. I don't want to go there alone. I want you guys to go with me. But we need to serve each other and look after each other so we can get there. And then also the wider community, community in Durban. Bring them in. Serve them. Unite them in the body of Christ. Football also has a referee that controls the rules. And we have a referee. God's going to judge us one day what we did in our Christian walk. He's going to ask you what you did. 
and he's going to judge that. We also have a rule book, like soccer. Football has a rule book. There's certain rules people have to stick to. You do your own thing, puts your team into trouble. What's our rule book? We have the Bible. The Bible tells us how to live. And then one thing this team has, is one of the best coaches in the world. And as Christians, who's our coach? Who's with us telling us what to do, where to walk, how to do things? Holy Spirit. He's your coach. He's your mentor. He guides you. Now, I can't create unity as we sit here. I can't force unity. We can't as a church force unity. Because unity requires one thing between people, and that's the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit bring into our relationships? The fruits of the Spirit. He brings love. He brings joy. He brings peace, kindness, goodness, generosity, self-control. And how amazing is that if we can bring that into our relationships with each other? Because the world is missing that at the moment. The world's missing love. It's missing joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's missing that. And we need to bring it back because we need to put the Holy Spirit back into our relationships. So an analogy I use for that is mayonnaise. Who loves mayonnaise? <laughs> we all know what mayo is, Okay. And I'm going to put a picture up here with, about mayonnaise. And the developers of mayonnaise had one problem. The two main products of a mayonnaise is water and oil. They both have their own identities. Water is life-giving. You can wash stuff in it. It's its own identity, but it has no flavor, really. And it can do its own thing. Oil has its own identity. Oil is much more dense. You can cook food in it. You can put it in a salad dressing. You can oil your door with it if you wanted to. Problem with the two is you can shake it, stir it, do it with, with what you want with it. It will never mix. It will always go oil on top, and they won't unite. Okay, so the, the developers of mayonnaise said, we need something to bind these two, an emulsifier to bring them together. And what did they use? A air, an egg. Because what does egg do? Goes to water and says, water, come here. You're doing well by yourself, but you have no flavor. Come here. Goes to oil. Hey, Mr. Oil, come here. You mix that together, what happens? You get a different mixture. And in the end, add a few other things, you get mayonnaise, which is much more tastier than oil or water. And it can be used for other things to put flavor to your food. So I want to use an analogy. Ross, can I use you again? Can I use you, if you mind? Oh, sorry, I've grabbed him. That's okay. That's fine. Come stand here. Put your back against Ross. So I'm going to use the two of them as an example. He has his own life. He has his own history, his own past, his own culture. And he's doing life his own way. Ross comes from a different background. He has a different past. He does things his own way. And they're, all, they're both good by themselves. They can achieve a lot by themselves. But what happens if you start trusting in your own identity to do things in life? You start walking away from each other. Okay? If you bring your relationship 
in community with the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? He says, hey, come here. Hey, come here. You guys are great. But if you guys unite, you are so much more powerful. And he does this. And the Holy Spirit says, I'll bless you. I'll walk with you. And we can achieve so much more together than you two guys going your separate ways in life and trying to do things your own way. Come unite in Christ and do things the Christian way and see how powerful we are together. So thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Point two I want to get to is that if your identity is in Christ, you will want to live with humility. Humility is a key factor for unity. What does humility mean? Humility means laying my life down, laying my needs down for someone else, humbling myself for some one else. And where is the best evidence of humility we will ever see? It's in the life of Jesus. And if you don't believe in Christ yet, or you've backslidden and you're coming back to Christ, read this passage again. Because when I read this, it humbles me. Humbles me that my father did this for me. So let's read together at Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8. So Paul says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. This is the king of the world of heaven and earth, he made himself nothing for me and for you. By taking the very nature of a servant, being in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So if we look at our relationships, Paul is telling us here to base our relationships as Christ did it. What's the first thing God and Christ did? God gave his only son to come to earth. Jesus Christ gave up the splendor of heaven. Imagine how glorious heaven is. He gave that up for me and for you. So Paul is asking us this morning, in your relationship with someone else, what can you give up? Can you give up time? Can you give up money? Can you give up your, your talents, your gifts, for someone else? Because Christ did it, and we are Christ's followers, so we should imitate what Christ did for us. The second thing Christ did, he became a servant. From a king, to a servant. 
Our culture these days is so different. We all want to be served. We love being served. It makes you feel special. Christ says, no, you need to serve others, laying your life down for them. And I think, like we said, with, with COVID, the anxiety that's crept into us, we've, we've gone back into our shells. Paul's saying, yeah, come on, let's serve each other. Let's show the world what unity is. Let's show the world what Christ is. And then the last thing is Christ died on the cross for me and for you so that our sins can be forgiven. And what that asks me is that myself should die to serve you. Paul is asking us to not be selfish. Put yourself backwards and put other people forwards. Serve them, love them, unite with them because that's what Christ did. Paul's church was very interesting in Philippians. He had a, such a mix of people there. He had Romans. He had Jews, Gentiles. He had Greeks, non-Greeks. He had men and women. Those days, women weren't allowed in synagogues. But one thing Paul understood is identity and unity is built on Christ, not on what the world tells you you are. And that's how you united the church with a lady called Lydia who had the first church. They had the church in her house. A God that guarded him in Silas in jail, second guy in his church. A young girl was a slave, demon-possessed, that he helped set free. Those were the first three people of the Philippian church. But for Paul, he had a different viewpoint. Identity was viewed not from a cultural point of view or your past. He viewed it from Christ's aspect. So, my wife and I are high school sweethearts. We got married, and then as any strong Afrikaans family, and what's expected from you as Afrikaners is to have 12 children, like the Khretrek. <laughs> and we tried to fall pregnant, and it didn't happen for us. The fertility specialist told us in a consult, who put you two duds together? which at the time felt like a joke, but as we left, it broke us, that we were duds, and we will never give our family children or grandchildren. And that becomes a part of your identity. Someone called us, called my wife the barren lady. And that, that type of things create an identity for you, and you start living and believing in that. But we soon realized that we can't live in that identity. And because we love Christ, he has so much more for us. My Father in heaven has so much more than that. And I refuse to take my earthly identity on board because my identity in Christ is very different. And he opened the door for us to adopt two African children. And I'll put a, a photo up of my family
We have a new identity in Christ. We are a family. I wasn't supposed to be a father. Not in earthly ways. But God allowed me and my wife to be a father and a mother in a very different look to what is expected from me in my culture and my identity as Afrikaner. We understood God's heart for not looking at anyone's color, race, culture, or earthly identity. And he allowed these girls to come to my house so that I can father them and show them Christ. And I will love them like that for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter what the world tells me, the remarks they make. And people ask me, what about the culture? What about the language? And Christ, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. She's going to get Jesus. I'm sorry. She was disunited from her mother and dad, both of them. Abandoned at birth. They were disunited. And they reunited with God through me and my wife. And that will be our life mission, is to keep these girls on track, that they will find their identity in God and in Jesus, and not what the world tells them. They can choose that later on. But firstly, they are God's holy people. Secondly, they are in Jesus Christ. And thirdly, they are brothers and sisters of this community and of Durban. How's that for a first preach? (laughs) Friends, there there are two groups of us here. There are those who have been adopted and feel it and know it and sense the pleasure of our Heavenly Father. And there's those who haven't. And I want to say to those of you who haven't been adopted, you haven't experienced the love of God, the seal of the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you that His unchanging plan has always been to adopt you into His family by bringing you to Himself through Christ Jesus. It's the plan. And today, you look at someone remarkable who is only remarkable because he was adopted. And so I want to give you a chance if if you have not asked Jesus into your life, and right now, you're going, I need that adoption. I need to feel the love of the Father. I need to experience the seal of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, won't you just lift up your hand so I can pray with you? Is anybody? See your hand. See your hand. Cool. For those two people, this is the prayer you're going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for my sin so that I could be adopted by the Heavenly Father and so that the love of the Holy Spirit could be poured into my heart. 
Siri doesn't understand. Jesus, come and change my identity to child of God and fill me with that love. Transform me from the inside out and help me see life from your eyes. I ask this in Jesus' name. Now for the rest of us, the story, this sermon is really about if he's done that for me, how do I do that for others? Uh, Brent's living it. But what you receive, you have to give. You got it for free. Give it freely. And, uh, and for many of us, that might just be going, Lord, forgive me for putting my identity as this above my identity as a Christ follower. And so I'm going to ask that we all stand <clears throat> and do this thing that the church has been doing through hundreds of years. It's called repentance. And uh, we, we're going to do a little cultural repentance. Is that cool? Yeah, like English means uh, <laughs> Jesus, forgive me for putting my identity in all the things of my culture first. That we had it right. That ours was the way. That we were greater. God, we don't just repent. We literally let it go. And we say, Lord, that we want your identity to shape us, not our culture. God, we thank you for culture because it makes life richer, but God, it comes second. So forgive us. And secondly, Lord, as we repent, change us so that we can give to others the humility that you desire of us, and so that we can be like you on this earth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God bless you and fill you. It has been fantastic being with you. If you're new, please join us upstairs. God bless.